Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Swing it along with the left. That's a grand slam. This is Sports Open Live. On America's Sports Voice. Kansas City. KMOX. One hour down, one more to go. We are back here on KMOX. Got some uh, got some unfortunate news today, uh, college basketball-wise. And one thing is just something that you can't avoid. The other is kind of part of college basketball today. We'll start with St. Louis U. They're back at tomorrow. They'll take on St. Bonaventure. Fred Thatch Jr., his slew career, his collegiate basketball career, has come to an end. He suffered a torn ACL on Wednesday against UMass. He was in his fifth year with the Billikens. He did have another year of eligibility thanks to the uh, extra COVID eligibility, but he has made the decision uh, not to pursue that one more year of eligibility. He had earned a bachelor's degree in marketing in 2021. Then he picked up a uh, master's in business in, uh, in uh, business administration in uh, 2022. He's pursuing a master's in supply chain management. Basically, what I'm telling you is this dude's a smart guy, and he's got a lot going for him uh, in his life after basketball. So he is going to uh, forego his remaining year of eligibility, and his college basketball career comes to an end. Couple things on this. First off, it's sad. Anytime you see an athlete have their career come to an end because of injury, it is sad. It's emotional. It's it's you just feel for them. Uh, From a bigger picture standpoint, it kind of goes with what's happening this year with SLU basketball, where they just have not been able to put it all together and Thatch has been a contributor don't get me wrong he's he's played all right um he's he's kind of done what you thought he would do this year he's been a a, a six point uh guy a, a four rebound guy this year he certainly has contributed uh, to this team not not one of the biggest players in terms of production but somebody who helps the team makes plays does does things in a winning way and now he's not going to be there and like i was saying it it has just been disappointing, and so far this year is a what could have been year for the Billikens. Now, there's a lot of basketball left to be played. There's certainly an opportunity to go to the A10 tournament and get into the NCAA tournament and make some noise in the tournament. So all that, everything that they wanted to accomplish is still available for them to accomplish. I'm not burying them by any stretch of the mind. And they've got the talent, they've got the ability to go out and do all the things that I just mentioned. But it's been a year at 9-6, and six, at 1-1 one and one in league play, where it just hasn't gone the way you thought it was going to go, especially from the start. They got that really good win against Murray State. They got that win against Memphis, which was good. Then they went to Auburn. And I st- I've said this over and over. You know, if you listen to me very much, you know exactly what I'm about to say. That Auburn game is the crossroads game for this season. For whatever reason, I, I think if they f- if they win that game as they should have, that was the game where they missed all the free throws. 
If they win that game, I just think the season plays out a little bit differently after that, even though, to be fair, even though their next two games were victories. They bounced back with wins against Tennessee State and against uh, Southern Illinois. But then they went into that period of four games where they lost three of them with losses to Iona, Boise State, and SIUE, and then they've opened one and one in league play. And those those three losses in the final four games of non-conference pretty much guaranteed them that they're not going to get an at-large bid in the NCAA tournament, that if they want to get in, they're going to have to win the A-10 tournament, which is absolutely possible. They are still, without a doubt, one of the best, if not the best teams in the A-10, but it's a bad year for the league. The The league is down this year. League's going to be fine. League's going to bounce back. There's some good coaches in the league. It just happens to be one of those years where the league is down. They did not perform all that well in non-conference, and it's one of those what can go wrong will go wrong type seasons for the Billikens so far. That doesn't mean that they don't have the ability to turn things around. They're going to play their next two games at home tomorrow. They match up against St. Bonaventure, and then on Wednesday they're going to take on George Mason. At Illinois, it's a little bit of a different situation where, and I was caught off guard by this one, to be perfectly honest with you, Sky Clark is making the decision to exit the Illinois basketball program. Nobody's really said for sure if it's a temporary thing or a permanent thing. It feels permanent. And if I was a betting individual, I would bet the next time we see Sky Clark play basketball, he's going to be playing at the professional level in some form or fashion, whether that's in the United States, whether that's overseas, whatever it might be. I think the next stop for him is going to be uh, some level of professional basketball. But uh, this one surprised me. I mentioned this with Kevin Wheeler earlier today. We've had Coach Brad Underwood here on this program a couple separate occasions, and it always felt like he went out of his way to compliment Sky Clark uh, and talk about the job that he was doing and the importance to the team. So to see, you know, a lot of times when players exit the program, it's not players that you are hearing coaches say those kind of things about. Brad Underwood did tweet out this statement today after the news came out about Sky, saying, quote, Sky has made the decision to take some time away from basketball. He remains a valued part of our program and will continue to receive our full support. Sky is a thoughtful, caring young man who right now needs to prioritize himself and his family this is bigger than basketball. We understand that and stand with him every step of the way without really giving more details beyond that. L.A. kid was committed to Kentucky as a four-star recruit. Then uh, he t- took a step back from that commitment and ended up at Illinois when he l- made the decision to not go to Kentucky. Uh, he told on three I just really wanted to step back and assess myself and my options and see if it was still the best situation. What I've learned is basketball is more than a game now. It's a business. I just want to do what's best for me going forward. So that's kind of where you know my belief that we're probably going to see him playing professional basketball at some point moving forward, it kind of goes to what he said even back then before he was committed to Illinois, but when he had just decommitted from Kentucky, talking about basketball being a business and him doing what's best for himself. And just I was talking about SLU earlier in the sense of what can go wrong is going wrong for SLU. In many ways, 
it's the same story for Illinois. And they had those two Big Ten games that they uh, that they played, or uh, the one Big Ten game that they played uh, fairly early on in the season. That was a game against Penn State. That they somewhat surprisingly lost. That was the moment with Illinois because they were ranked in the top 20 at that point. That was the point where you started to kind of look at them and go, eh. And then they lose that game to Missouri, but that's a that's a big rivalry game, so you kind of give anybody a pass on a loss in a rivalry game. And then they end up losing to a Northwestern this past week, and you just have to wonder just how good is this Illinois basketball team. And the Big Ten eats you up. That's part of the problem in this. There are, there are a lot of teams in the Big Ten that basically have the same talent level as a whole bunch of other teams. And for me, it's hard to kind of say where the line is on who the best team is and when, you know, going from what, what do you want to say? Like going from these are the elite teams. These are the really good teams. These are the above average teams. I I don't know how to do all that. They have three teams ranked in the top 25. Purdue's going to fall out of that one spot. They lost to, uh, to Rutgers. And that was a little bit of a surprising loss. Uh, Wisconsin, they're ranked number 14. Ohio state is ranked number uh, 24 right now. And, and Indiana has uh, ranked number 15, so they have four, four teams in the top 25. I just – I don't watch every Big Ten team every single night, but I don't see – give me just about any team in the Big Ten and put them on the basketball floor and take off their jerseys and don't let me know who anybody is, and I just don't see a whole lot of difference. You know, But I, I made this argument maybe two weeks ago, and I said – from like the third best team to the third from the bottom. Now, honestly, like Minnesota's not good. Uh, they're, they're, but Illinois is the other 0-3 league team. Iowa's 1-3. Iowa's going to win some games this year. Iowa's always good. I mean, this is, it's from top to bottom, there might be as much parity in the Big Ten as any league out there. And you could probably say in a different kind of way, you can say the same thing about the Big 12. The difference being in the Big 10, everybody's at about the same level and they're just really good teams. In the Big 12, you've got some great teams, uh, whether it's Kansas, whether it's Texas, whether it's Baylor, whether it's TCU, whether it's Iowa State, even I can be very proud about my Kansas State Wildcats. They are 13-1 and and they just put up like 120 on Texas the other day. There's there are legit uh, elite teams in the Big 12, and that's a there's not a bad team in that league. There is not a bad team in the Big 12. There's probably not a bad team in the Big 10 either, outside of maybe Minnesota. But I mean, that's that's also kind of the world we're living in right now in college basketball. That's part of why I think we heard that report this past week where the NCAA had the the folks kind of look into things and they talked about a 96-team NCAA tournament. I don't know if I'm in favor of that or not. My initial reaction is no, I'm not in favor of the 96-team NCAA tournament. But in many ways, you whoever finishes in last place in the Big 12 this year, they are probably going to be as good, if not better, than the the last team in the final at large spot into the NCAA tournament. That's how good the Big Twelve is this year. 
Now, even if they went to a 96-team tournament, is there ever a scenario where every team um, gets into uh, from a league gets in the tournament? No, probably not. All right, uh, when we come back earlier uh, this week, the XFL released their schedule. We're going to talk a little bit about that as uh, Anthony Miller, who covers the XFL for uh, XFL News Hub, he joins us in just a moment. It's Sports Open Line right here on KMOX. America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Taking you through this Friday here on KMOX. Matt Pauley back with you on Sports Open Line as always. If you want to join the program, 314-436-7900. That's how you call. That's how you text. You can also tweet at me if you'd like. At Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. I almost misspelled my own name. Let's bring in uh, Anthony Miller. He's got an easy name to spell. He's by Anthony Miller on Twitter. Uh, covers the XFL for XFL News Hub. Anthony, thanks for us taking some time. Welcome back on the Sports Open Line. Thanks for having me back on the show. I appreciate it. Let's uh, get into kind of some of the logistics of what's going on with the XFL because I don't think people completely understand how it's working where the league is based basically uh, in Texas and then they travel for games, but a lot of everything is kind of centrally located. Can you explain just that whole whole process and how the XFL is doing it? Yeah, so uh, last couple of days we've seen uh, players and coaches, they started heading their way to Arlington, Texas. This is where it's, the XFL is going to have their – uh, really their hub. So the players are going to be living there. The coaches are going to be living there. They're going to be practicing at local high schools around the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. And basically for the next five weeks, uh, they're going to go through training camp here. And then uh, by February 9th, they'll go through final cuts to the rosters. And then by the time February 18th rolls around, they'll have their full rosters and they'll be ready to go for the season. But they're going to be doing all their practicing. They're going to be living um, in the Arlington area. And I, I think really why the league did it was to try, try to save money. And they have a good relationship with the city of Arlington, especially from the last time they worked together uh, back in 2020 with the XFL. So it's been a really good partnership for them. So this is where they're going to be headquartered, but they'll be able to travel on weekends to go play their games at the home stadiums. But I think it was important for them to have the hub in Arlington and have all the players and coaches in one area. It's kind of a hybrid of what you would normally expect and what we saw in the USFL where the USFL just you know, set down shop in, in one city. I think it was in Birmingham, Alabama, if I remember correctly. Uh, and they ran all their games from there. Here, you're still going to get teams playing their games in their respective home markets. Yeah, I think it was important for the XFL to still have the community part of it within the local uh, cities that they're going to be playing in. So they wanted to still have that type of relationship with the cities. But at the same time, with especially after COVID, I think a lot of the spring football leagues were thinking about ways to try to be more efficient uh, financially. And they found uh, that, you know, having hub cities, as they call it, uh, was the best way to kind of save money. So that's what the USFL did, you know, basing all their games in Birmingham and then doing the playoffs all in uh, Canton, Ohio. So the XFL, like you said, it's kind of a hybrid. They want to try to keep their players in one city to save money that way, but at the same time still keep that um, community atmosphere and have that connection with the cities they're playing in. If If this version of the XFL makes it, do you think there's a scenario where they eventually start running all their operations out of cities, or is this maybe a, a long-term play? 
I think there's eventually an opportunity where they will move out. Um, but I, I think the XFL is being really smart about it. I, I, a lot of these spring leagues that come out within the first year or two, they all struggle financially. And that's why a lot of them end up ending after a year or two, because they just don't have the finances to handle it. So I think the XFL is really handling it the smart way to have that combination between, hey, we know we need to save money. You know, first year, you're not going to really make revenue. So this is their way of saving money. But at the same time, still have the players and coaches out in the communities so that, you know, cities like St. Louis and San Antonio can still be connected to their teams. I think that's the one thing the USFL kind of missed. The target on is that those cities like, you know, Houston and that, they, they just didn't have that connection with the team outside of, you know, the Birmingham Stallion. Now the, the XFL this way is being smart about it, save money, but also cities like St. Louis, San Antonio, Seattle, they'll still have that connection with their team. So it's a win-win. But, yeah, eventually I think they'll branch out once they get, you know, consistent revenue flowing into the league. Anthony Miller from XFL News Hub continuing to uh, join us. The schedule was officially released uh, this past week across the XFL and obviously for uh, the Battle Hawks who are going to open up the season with some road games before eventually uh, playing their first home game that is uh, going to be scheduled for March 12th after they play games on the road against San Antonio, Seattle, and also uh, D.C., from what you're hearing, uh, St. Louis football fans are, I think, really proud of the way they supported Battlehawks 1.0. Now they're going to XFL and Battlehawks 2.0. Uh, is are, are you hearing excitement about what the St. Louis market and how they're going to handle uh, this team once again? I think it was important for the XFL to bring back St. Louis. I, I think when you look at attendance numbers back in 2020, St. Louis was the the most successful out of all the cities they played in. First game they did, I think it was 29,000. Second game was 27,000. So the attendance numbers, I mean, the XF, this XFL group realized that it was imperative to have football back in St. Louis. What's great about St. Louis is that it's a massive city with no competition with the NFL. So when you get a team back in here, I mean, the, I think the expectation for the league is, is that St. Louis, the Battlehawks should easily have over 20,000 fans a game at every one of their home games. So I think like I, it was automatic that St. Louis was going to come back. I think it was automatic that Seattle was going to come back. And like I said before, they have a great relationship with the city of Arlington. So that was automatic. And then bringing in San Antonio was obviously another automatic, too, just from the success that San Antonio's had with the Alliance of American Football and all the professional football leagues, football teams that have come into that city. So I think it was a no-brainer to bring back St. Louis. They know how important that city is and how much, um, you know, how much attention they're going to get from the market. I know the XFL and USFL are not totally 100% running concurrently, but they are each a couple spring leagues. Do you feel like, you know, spring football has been such a tough thing in this country. Do you feel like there's a scenario where these leagues can continue to exist or at some point is it going to come down to just one or none? I think eventually it's going to, it's, you know, this year it may work out, especially with both leagues being smarter with, you know, how they're spending their money and revenue, especially for the first year or two. But I think eventually either next year in 2024 or 2025, there's going to be a point where one of these leagues is going to have to to back off because they're not, you know, make, they're not hitting the, t- the ratings and the television. They're not making the money with the home attendance. So, yeah, I, I don't see a scenario where both leagues are really going to work. They're both buying for, um, fans to watch them despite the fact they're p- essentially playing at different times of the year 
there's going to be a point where one of the leagues is going to have to beat out the other. So I think really this year will be a good indication of where the XFL is going to lie and where the USFL is going to lie in the future. And especially the USFL has got to make decisions on when they want to start playing home games in their home markets because eventually they're going to have to get there. So I think once that happens, that may be a true indication of who's going to win between the XFL and the USFL. Who's in better position right now? So I think financially the USFL is just because they saved money last year by playing in one city. And now they're going to be playing in, it sounds like maybe between three to four hub cities. So financially they may be better off, but I think in the long run, the XFL may end up being better off just because they have the, like I said, they're playing in their home stadiums. The fans are going to be in front of them. They're going to be able to build that community with them. So I think popularity-wise, I think the XFL will have the advantage over the USFL. But if we're talking about financially, right now the USFL will have the, the advantage. But at the end of the day, I, I think the XFL is just going about it a little bit smarter and you know, having that balance between having a hub city but also getting you know, their lower local teams in their local cities. So the XFL may be better off at the end. All XFL games will be nationalized, televised, a handful on ABC, a bunch on ESPN, and a fair amount on FX. Do you like their TV deal? Yeah, I mean, I know they had a good relationship with ESPN the last time they were in 2020. ESPN did really well in making sure they're marketing the XFL, especially on SportsCenter, and making sure they're showing highlights. So I know they had a good relationship back in 2020, so I think it's a good combination of they'll be on ABC, ESPN, ESPN2, and FX. So, yeah, I think it's a really smart move to be able to get a major um, – getting major networks like ABC and ESPN behind it. He is Anthony Miller, covers the XFL for XFL News Hub. You follow him on Twitter at ByAnthonyMiller. Anthony, thanks so much for uh, taking some time with us, and I will look forward to talking to you again. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate it. Very good. There's Anthony Miller talking all things XFL football. Look forward to the season beginning for the Battlehawks. Again, they will play uh, games on the road against San Antonio, Seattle, and D.C. in their first three weeks of the year. Then they'll be home for a couple weeks on March 12th and March 18th against Arlington and D.C. And then their final three games of the regular season will be at home as well, April 8th, 16th, and 22nd against Vegas, Seattle, and Orlando. I'm curious on a couple things. Uh, number one, something that did not exist the last time the Battlehawks existed was City SC. So they exist now, and they're kind of the trendy thing. And there is some crossover in the schedule between the Battlehawks and City SC. So I do wonder uh, what that's going to look like. The other thing. The first time the Battlehawks were around, they were so good at being in the community on like an every night basis, going to high school football games, being at community events. I mean, they were everywhere. And I don't know what the XFL is planning to do, if there's going to be much in terms of boots on the ground in St. Louis. I know they do have some staff members in St. Louis, uh, but are they – how many people are going to be here that can go do events? It's not going to be as easy to go have a player do an autograph session or something like that on a, on a Tuesday night when 
all the practices and things like that are going to be taking place in Texas when they do they come in a day early do they leave a day later uh, and do some community events and things like that I don't know what their plan is but there's going to be some challenges that go along with that the fact that they're not completely operating out of the St. Louis area there's going to be some uh, some challenges but all things considered it's an exciting time and certainly look forward to uh, the Battle Hawks returning all right, we've still got a lot to get to before uh, we get out of here. About 20 minutes, uh, 25 or so minutes left in the program before we're done. It's Sports Open Line. We're back with more in just a moment here on KMOX. Swing it along with the left. That's a grand slam. This is Sports Open Line on America's Sports Voice. Touchdown, Kansas City. KMOX. Sports Double Line continues here on KMOX, a Friday night edition. Matt Pajeski found a uh, found a funny story out of uh, my former place of employment, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and specifically American Family Field, the home of the Brewers. This this is one you don't see very often. Did you have you have you, you have no clue? All right, no. here we go. I read from an Associated Press story: a man passed out in the bushes outside the Milwaukee Brewers Stadium after a game and upon awakening entered the team's clubhouse and stole electronics, a credit card, team memorabilia, and other items according to a criminal complaint. The 25-year-old man was charged on December 14th with felony burglary online court records show. It goes on. The complaint says the man attended a September 8th doubleheader against the San Francisco Giants. Those doubleheaders always do it to you. At uh, Milwaukee's American Family Field. He said he drank at least 10 beers, at least, which, by the way, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Oh, at the ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Millers, too. He said he drank at least 10 beers, passed out, woke up, and got back inside the stadium by pulling on a door until it opened. He found his way to the clubhouse and started taking stuff from the locker room, the complaint said. A team strength coach said the items taken from his office include a laptop, iPods, headphones, a passport, and a credit card. A jersey and shaving kit were taken from manager Craig Council's office, and an equipment manager said a game-used hat, an autographed bat, a 45-year anniversary 1982 signed bat. They lost that World Series. A replica World Series ring and keys to the team's Arizona spring training facility were also stolen from Craig Council's office. Two game jerseys and a bag with baseballs and pitching devices were taken from the coach's locker room. The man then ordered an Uber to take him home. His roommates told detectives that the man showed up early on September 9th with a duffel bag stuffed with Brewer's memorabilia. Investigators recovered most of the items from the man's apartment. The man's attorney declined to comment when reached by the Associated Press, as did the Milwaukee Brewers. This man was on a rampage. That's a story right there. You know, I, this reminds me of, like, you, you see videos or read stories of, like, bears pillaging campsites and they're like rummaging through all the snacks and the food and the tents and they're just leaving a mess. That's what this guy is. He is a, a drunken bear walking through American family field and uh, just taking down everything in his path. I have so many questions 
because like you wake up in the bushes after you passed out drunk and your first inclination is to go back inside the ballpark? I mean, where, where, where else are you going to steal memorabilia from? Good point. And get more beer. Next off, where like there's got to be some security there. It can't be, no matter what, if it's 3 in the morning, there's got to be some security there, somewhere. That closed door was about as much security as he encountered that night, apparently. I, so, you know, again, sometimes I compare the way things were when I covered the Brewers versus the way things are now covering the Cardinals. Uh, when I was covering the Brewers, like, let's say I was wearing a uh, a polo shirt and had my credential on, and then I got a little bit chilly during the game, and I threw a, a pullover or something on top of my uh, polo shirt, and it was covering up my credential, I could still walk anywhere I wanted to walk, and nobody was going to question uh, why I was walking there, even if the credential wasn't seen. I can't do that at Bush Stadium. Even if people know who I am, if the credential is not visible, I will be stopped until the credential is visible. So clearly, there's might maybe some security issues there at the ballpark in Milwaukee. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> I would the, say so. And this is actually the second time something of this nature had happened. Maybe three years ago, it was right in the middle of the pandemic, actually. Um, some dude, just in the middle of the day, walked into the ballpark in Milwaukee, got on a tractor, and started mowing the field and, like, did, like, $20,000 worth of damage or something like that. Oh, damage. I was I was thinking he was doing them a favor. He's cutting the grass for the grounds crew. <laughs> he was not. He was somebody who, uh, and he ended up getting arrested for that. Yeah. Sidebar, he made that same person like to make threats against people who worked at the radio station that I worked against, and we had to bring in extra security. So he might have been a little bit unhinged in the first place. But, yeah, that that's a wild story that he was able to get into, and he was able to get into the clubhouse too. Like I'm trying to think back about what kind of locks there were on the clubhouse doors and things like that, and I wonder how much stuff, it's, again, Oh, man. The keys? He just finds the keys laying somewhere? Yeah, the keys to the Arizona Spring Training facility. Really, the the things there that are especially valuable that you don't want to lose, the passport, because it's a pain in the you-know-what to get a new one, Uh, the 1982 signed bat, again, from a losing World Series team. Go Cardinals. Uh, There's probably some, some value that goes along with that. But yeah, that's a that's a wild story to me that that happened. That the tractor story, it's got it's like the total dad crime. You know, you picture like breaking in, like oh, I'm gonna steal this, this, and this. This guy just wants to like live out a fantasy of cutting the grass where he's not supposed to. Have you ever gone into a high profile area in your life that you were not supposed to go into? <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. You've never like broken into anything or just Let me seen just tell the whole St. Louis audience the things that I've broken into. Seen an open door and gone somewhere where you weren't supposed to go. Legally, no, I've never done those things. I, I mean, I've done it a few times. The the one that really stands out to me when I was broadcasting minor league baseball in the Midwest League, there was a team in South Bend, Indiana, and we played a day game one day. And then after that game, the strength coach and I went for a run on the Notre Dame campus, and we got up to the football facility, and the door was open. And he's a strength coach. 
And by the way, he's now the, he, I'm not going to give his name, but he is now a head strength and conditioning coach for a major league baseball team out there. So, uh, he's, a, you know, we see the strength room for Notre Dame football and he just starts salivating as a strength coach and the door is open. So we go in and we're in the Notre Dame football strength coach, our strength, uh, strength room, you know, weight room, whatever it is. And we're like looking around and walking around. And then eventually somebody sees us in there and comes up and, uh, it's one of their strength coaches who was in on like a Sunday or whatever doing some work, and we were uh, politely asked to uh, no longer be yeah. in there. But your first inclination wasn't to find the tractor, find the John Deere, and uh, start cutting the grass. That's why I don't care about the other guy. No, but I ran a couple miles on the treadmill. You know, I threw <laughs> some. Uh, I did some uh, squat cleans. You know, things <laughs> like that. Tried to, you know, tried to find the uh, the sign that you hit. Yeah, make, you, make use of your time. There. Yeah, so. That's a, to me. That's a wild story that 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 happened. Just everything about it, and the fact that he he said he drank. By the way, at least ten beers. Not that he drank ten beers. He drank at least ten beers minimum. That's like seventy bucks. You're oh, more than that. You're not getting in Milwaukee. You might be able to find a beer for like six seventy five. Do you think he drank them? Before entering? Like well, that's the other thing. So the thing in Milwaukee is they do tailgating. And they they do like hardcore tailgating in the parking lots before every game. So I guess what we don't know is how many of these 10 beers were drank and purchased from inside of the ballpark. That's an important thing to know on terms. You know what? I'm just not going to say that. Sports Open Line continues in uh, just a moment. Sometimes you got to self-filter. My name is Matt Pauley. We'll uh, wrap up the program here in just a moment on KMOX. Your home of the Cardinals. Arnado swings and hits it deep to left field. That ball is out of here. The Billikens. Jumper. Yes! Billikens win! The Chiefs. Touchdown! Kansas City! We are America's sports voice. KMOX. Starting to wrap things up here on a Friday night leading into the weekend. We're back on Monday. We're going to have the first edition of this year of the St. Louis Billikens Coaches Show coming up on Monday. So make sure to be tuned in for that. Missouri basketball tomorrow. They are going to uh, match up against Vanderbilt. So sometimes weird things happen or peculiar things happen. The two SEC teams from the state of Tennessee are each traveling to Columbia tomorrow. Vanderbilt traveling to Columbia, Missouri to take on Missouri. Number eight, Tennessee, traveling to Columbia, South Carolina to take on South Carolina. So so two Tennessee teams heading to Columbia. Maybe that says something about the way my brain works, but that was the first thing I noticed when I was looking at the SEC schedule for tomorrow was that the two teams for Tennessee are going to the respective Columbias across the league. Uh, I thought there was a really cool exchange between Missouri basketball coach Dennis Gates and the uh, assembled media because people are showing up, and they're showing up in a big way right now for Missouri basketball. I want to give credit where credit is due to Natalie Jones from ABC 17 um, tweeted this video out 
uh, from the exchange. But uh, this was Dennis Gates when finding out about the four straight sellouts for Missouri basketball. Four straight sellouts they just announced today, you know. Did they? Yeah, four straight. Get out of here. Alabama. Yeah, that's outstanding. Yeah, kind of tell me your reaction to just how I want to know you guys' reaction. Did you guys think we would have four straight sellouts uh, this season? Let's be honest. Talk to me, media. Talk to me. Let's say it loud so I can. Talk to. Hold on, hold on. Let's say it loud because I want to get you guys on the record like you get me on the record. Media. Do you guys think we would have had four straight sellouts this season? Yes or no? No. No. Okay. Thanks for being honest, guys. Uh, It's outstanding. And what it says is what we always thought, that this place is a special place. We have some unbelievable tradition with our former coaches. Uh, I'll list them all by name again if you want me to. Uh, From Norm to Quinn to Frank Hafe to Mike Anderson to Kim Anderson to Conzo. We have unbelievable former players in this program that historically has given so much and so much to the logo, so much to the institution. And what it says is that we have the tradition of our fans still here, invigorated with spirit. It hadn't gone anywhere. And it's all coming together slowly. And I'm, I'm excited to be the Witten family head men's basketball coach. I'm excited about where we are because it is a beautiful sight to see when we walk in this arena. And I thank you guys. Uh, would share the same sentiments. So I appreciate your honesty. Yeah, that that's fun. That, that For him to be, I, I think he was legitimately excited about that. He's enjoying the moment, enjoying the journey of building this program. He is incredibly deferential to the people who came before him. He understands the history of the program. There's just, there's so much to like, so much to like, out of that minute and 27 seconds worth of audio that I just played for you. And like, I didn't, I didn't know a whole lot about Dennis Gates. I knew him from Cleveland state because I was working in the horizon league before I got here, but who he was as a man, like what he really believed in all that sort of stuff. I didn't know much about Dennis Gates and to see what he's doing uh, right now. And then to hear those sort of things, it's really awesome. So, uh, good to see Missouri on the path that they appear to be on right now, ranked number 20 in the nation, and they're going to match up against Vanderbilt tomorrow. Missouri is expected to win that game. They are a nine-point favorite. Did want to mention real quickly before we get out of here for the day, uh, especially for those of you who are maybe uh, outside of the St. Louis area listening via podcast, or of course this is KMOX, so you can hear the station all over the country. We got a text from our good friend Ben Boyd earlier today that he was listening to us in upstate New York, uh, that it was coming in uh, loud and clear up there. So that's that's good. Uh, the Cardinals, the Cardinal Caravan is back. The Cardinals announced the uh, the cities and the dates today. Uh, Cardinals.com slash caravan. If you live in or near Jefferson City, Columbia, Hannibal, Springfield, Missouri, Joplin, Rolla, Memphis, Jonesboro, Arkansas, Dyersburg, Tennessee, Champaign, Illinois, Peoria, Illinois, Bloomington, Illinois, Mattoon, Illinois, Springfield, Illinois, Decatur, Illinois, Centralia, Illinois, Marion, Illinois, Evansville, Indiana, Paducah, Kentucky, or Cape Girardeau, Missouri. They're coming for you. Cardinals Caravan uh, going to be, it's uh, the same weekend as the winter warm-up. 
So some of the uh, Cardinal Caravans will be going on uh, Friday, January 13th and Saturday, January 14th. Others will be going on Sunday, January 15th and Monday, January 16th. Tom Ackerman's on one. He's on a 13th, 14th one, Springfield, Missouri, Joplin, Missouri, Rolla, Missouri. I'll be on one. I've got, uh, I'll be going to Marion, Illinois, Evansville, Indiana, Paducah, Kentucky, and uh, Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Lots of players, lots of alumni, lots of broadcasters involved in this. So uh, we'll talk more about it uh, next week. But uh, the caravan schedule is officially out. All the cities that uh, the Cardinals are going to be visiting, check it out at cardinals.com slash caravan. That's it for this edition of the program. Have a wonderful weekend. Great sports day tomorrow here on KMOX. We'll uh, start with Billkins basketball. Then we've got a couple uh, NFL games coming up after that, including the Chiefs. I'll be back with you coming up on Monday right here on KMOX. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.